Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. I'm your host, Chris O'Regan, and this is the 201st episode of The Sausage Factory. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are, and who inspires them. Split into two halves, we initially focus on developers themselves, and in the second half, we discuss the game they're here to promote. Which in this case is Akhtung Cthulhu Tactics by Uruk Digital. Thomas. Yes. Who are you, and what do you do? Well, my name is Thomas Rawlings, and I am the design and production director at Oroch Digital. I think when you run a small studio, the, the plus is you can have whatever job title you want. So the job title all sounds very grand, but we're not a massive studio. But um, yeah, I've tried to come up with more interesting job titles. But basically, being in charge of making the thing and what it's going to be is, is, is I suppose, a, a simpler thing yeah. of what I do there. Yeah. You could do like Grand Poobah, if you like, but... Yeah, I, you know, you can have like Game Guru, you know, oh, yeah. Design Ninja, or oh, yeah, or, or yeah. just or, or, or just you know the man, or the man. you know, or, yeah. yeah. But no, I, I go with that. I think that's a concern. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the problem is when you go into those realms, you start people start accusing you of trying to be Tom Nook, and no one wants to be Tom Nook. No one. <laughs> yeah. No one. Well, and and it's also you're like trying to encapsulate when you do a lot of different things. You're trying to encapsulate it, and you know. It's it's my job varies from that the you know the, the the highs of designing on a new project and spooling that up and all the excitement in that to receiving complaints that we're running out of toilet roll in the toilets in the office so you know yeah. I run the gamut of all of it but yeah. um but I tend not to put that in the job title <laughs> certainly something for the CV managed toilet yeah. rolls so <laughs> second question told you it gets worse early on oh second here we go how did you make your start making video games. Well, I'm 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 a yeah, been in this industry for a while. So the first actual commercial job I got as a video game designer, um, I worked for a company called Hothouse Creations. Uh so this is going back into the earlier PC days. So they were noted for a game called Gangsters, a strategy game. Uh I worked there on a game called Abomination, um, which was a sort of build itself as a real time XCOM. Um, they also did a game called Cutthroats. Uh, so that, that was how I first got into it. And it was actually just a temporary job. Um, I got, I got the job as a, a, as a kind of design assistant for a few months to help out. And 
it just kind of went from there. But bear in mind, this is a good 20 odd years ago. So there were no game design courses or anything like that to get in. It was, so then you go, go take a step back. Well, how did you learn how to do it? Well, for me, uh, it was, it was basically self-taught. I'd, uh, I'd spent a lot of time playing role-playing games, D and D call of Cthulhu, RuneQuest, a bunch of other ones like shadow run. So I'd run adventures. I'd made adventures. I'd had to go at making my own role-playing games. Uh, I also messed around with computers. So the first, computer i tried coding on was the zx81 uh i'd also messed around with the bbc micro at school and you know made games in that tried making side scrolling beat-em-ups and and made it made a stab at making a mech warrior game in in on the bbc and stuff like that so yeah all, all those kind of things drew together that meant when i finally got this opportunity you know i kind of just burst into it and ran with it and and 20 years later here i am still working in the industry as a games designer that's quite a storied history, and um, you you started on eighty one, did you? Uh, and, and the ZX eighty one, yeah, yeah. So it's not wow. even the Spectrum; it's the one before the Spectrum. I know, yeah, with the wobbly ram pack. Yeah, yeah, sixteen k ram pack. You, you breathe on it, and it it wobbles. I, I I do have one now, still an eighty one, but it's uh, yeah, it's not an eighty one. It's got a real keyboard. It's it, it displays in color now, and yeah, it's even got an SD card in it. It's just not. It's not an eighty-one. I tell myself it is, but it's it's not. <laughs> I know. You know. The, the, the problem is having a history that goes back in this stuff. You can tell real tales, and yes, yeah. the youth they don't believe you. So it's like, yeah, I remember going to the library yeah. to. Uh, I remember going to the library to do. Um, I remember going to the library to to you know get video game stuff, and you'd get books out, and they'd have the code in the book. Yes, and you'd have to write type the game in yourself. Yes, and then run it, and then after you finish playing for a bit, you'd switch the computer off because there's no hard drive; it's all gone. Yeah, it's all gone. Um, yeah, and you tried to save it to tape, but that never worked. And, yeah. Uh, also, when you're typing it, you'll get something wrong because you miss something, and then it wouldn't work. And then you, you realize that the, the, as you, pro, the, you typed it in, it doesn't work anyway because it's got a bug in it, so you got to fix it. And it's one of the many reason ways you can actually learn programming was was just by doing by doing that. It was basic, so yeah. it's, its logic wasn't great, but you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, that that was it, you know. So you get your first stab at, at programming, but I wasn't very good at programming, I should say, and, and I'm still not. So, you know, I learned very early on that you know there were things I was good at and things I was not good at, and you know, I, I w- always wish I'd have been better at coding. I think that's one of the things. Looking back, I wish I'd have learned more coding. Not, not that I'm saying that everybody should be a coder, far from it, but I think having some degree of technical skill allows you to. It allows you to both kind of chat with people who've got to implement that and understand a little bit of what they've got to go through to do it. But it also allows you to kind of even just generate your own little seed ideas and little seed projects to kind of test out an idea more so. So I think it's definitely a useful skill that I know a bit of, but not as much as I'd like to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It uh, it adds that sort of you can realise what's possible and what's reasonable to ask for when designing uh, uh, games. And I did notice you 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 said you you played a lot of the pen and paper RPGs. Is that is that still the case, or you you drifted away? No, no, still still play them. Still play. Um, you still play board games. Still play tabletop um, skirmish games, and still play RPGs. So we have a little RPG group at uh, at work. Um, and what we're doing actually is slightly different with that because there's so many good RPGs around now. Mm. 
you know, while I, you know, in my history of doing RPGs, I play a lot of big campaigns and enjoyed those. We're trying something slightly different where we're wanting to try different systems. So we do little one shots, you know, maximum sort of two, two shot adventures. So I've run a couple of Call of Cthulhu, you know, one off adventures. Uh, somebody's, you know, going to run a one off uh, Shadow Run. Uh, I, I backed a game on Kickstarter called Revolutionaries, which is an RPG set in the American War of Independence. You know, so I'll run a one-off about that. So it gives you a chance to sample. And I think as games designers and game developers, part of the joy of that is not just, you know, trying out, you know, a different setting and a different way of doing it, but is also you actually get to see some different systems at play. It's very fascinating how um, people model chance in games like that, because ultimately mm. that's what they're doing. You may disagree, but that's when you start rolling dice, assuming the game has dice in it, because some do not. Um, if there is, you know, I mean, there's dread with the Jenga tower for pity's sake. Um, <laughs> if you're familiar with that, but it's just an absurd game where you you do a skill check and it's basically you pulling out, you know, playing Jenga. I did not know that one. Yeah, <laughs> didn't and, know that one. <laughs> oh, it's new to you. So yeah, all the skill checks are based on uh, on a, on a Jenga tower. So when you do have to do a check, then the then the DM or GM, I should say, calls that. Um, they um, you, if if the Jenga tower topples over, uh, you have died. There's no saving throw, no nothing. Your character Brilliant. is dead. <laughs> well, I'm currently I'm going to kickstart a new RPG where the, the core mechanic is a, a game of kaplunk, and <laughs> if the marbles fall down, you're dead. You're dead. But no, yeah. it's it's a thing. By all means, look up. You can. Oh, I will. I will. Yeah, I'm intrigued. It's called Dread, and there's some fantastic. Uh, Sort of guides and even YouTube guides on it, but um, this all—all all this discussion and, and talking about these mechanics—leads mm. me to my third question, rather neatly, which is: What do you believe you, uh, as a studio or digital, is are your biggest influences? Well, I'd say we we draw from two main areas uh, of our influences. One is, and, and you can see it, is, is we're big strategy fans, and and that strategy extends across the gamut so we play a lot of board games play a lot of miniatures games as i mentioned we play a lot of um uh video games strategy games and i've always been a massive strategy game fan so that's the first thing and obviously that shows in what we make we make strategy games the second thing i think we really draw from is we're very interested in games that have a kind of connection to somewhere in the real world stuff um so you know acton cthulhu has obviously got a real world setting of the second world war and one of the things when I first started looking at the setting with Modiphius and they, that, you know, when we chatted with them, they sent me uh, a bunch of their core rule books and reading through it. And I loved how well they'd meshed the, their, their take on Cthulhu with the real second world war setting. They, they'd taken real care so that it, it had this, this kind of gravitar about it. They, they treated their source material really well and that attracted me. And then the fact that we're converting an actual physical game, but our own take on it, that kind of gives me two layers of reality that we're bringing in. One, the, the kind of game, and the other one, the history. And that that really, you know, uh, and the fact that it's a strategy game, that, that hits all of the, the things that, as a studio, we're interested in. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting setting, really. And it reminds me a little bit of, uh, a lot of bit? Hmm. Uh, a lot of uh, Wolfenstein, some of the Wolfenstein mm. games. Where they went a bit weird, well, I say a bit. I mean, the last one has well things happening that are just utterly, utterly absurd. But you know, it's a great game, and um, the, the same kind of atmosphere draws 
uh, onto that. We're going to sort of delve into the whole Section M versus Black Sun stuff um, mm. later on, no doubt, in, in this chat. But um, yeah, it's a very rich sort of material to draw from, and it's a great thing to mm. and to say that you know tactical games. They, I mean, they, they range, like you say, from from you know pen and paper RPGs or board games, just that's all. Whether it's um, you know Memoir Forty Four or, or you know um, and that kind of stuff to you know w- w- and the, the tabletop stuff and there's there's a lot of tabletop miniatures games now. Um, mm. One could argue too many, uh, but there are a lot of them now with varying rule sets um, and uh, they're they're quite they're quite fascinating. How they, how, they're, how uh, everyone th- thinks of you know just Warhammer like actually you know there's way more than that now. Like there's drop fleet mm. and uh, for example and of course fantasy flight with the star wars miniatures is now d- d- mm, d- yeah, yeah. into that realm and you could argue and it's for the x-wing games are definitely um the the the, you know, the, the flight model games where you fly around x-wings and stuff oh, oh one tie fighters or any other star wars um spaceship you can mention again they're all always miniatures and it's just uh it's extraordinary how it's exploded and and become phenomenally popular um, for, mm. for good reason, and uh, definitely the X-wing games are uh, have a have a heritage of something far more complex and dry than what they turned it into. They did a really really good job of turning it around in something that was quite dry and difficult to to approach to something that's very easy to understand but non impossible to master. Which is the mm. the best kind of tactical game, isn't it? Once you understand the rules, like oh that's great. Oh wait, I'm rubbish at this. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. You want you want layered complexity. You want the, yeah. the the kind of entry is easy for you to understand what's going on. For you to actually have some kind of sense of you can do stuff. But as you say, the kind of the the, the mastery of that space, the, the the ability to kind of mesh all those options together. That that's where the player gets to apply their own their own personality and their own kind of approach to it. But also the kind of show off their skill. And I think that's that's the really interesting space that uh, you know a tactics or strategy game can put you in is where you really get to show off uh, you know that that really amazing feeling when you've just performed an amazing turn or amazing set of maneuvers and you just feel yeah you know i've got this and that that that's that's definitely a feeling that i like to try and figure out ways we can give that to the player yeah the sense of reward that endorphin sort of rush yeah. that you get from actually pulling off something and seemingly impossible that you do put it off but, um, Absolutely, and also in a similar vein, when you're playing a board game, especially heavy Euro stuff, all these moving parts to them, and like I have no idea if this is going to work. <laughs> you know, you you set yeah. up your your point generating machine on the premise that other people that are going to do things that uh, aren't going to hinder your point making machine, and they don't, and it starts to start to churn. <laughs> and at which point you become a target. But anyway, you know, when they start kicking in, like, wait, how did you get seven points from that? You know, like. Well, because I did that, that, and that, because that was going to do that, and that was going to do this, and it's just—it's very rewarding in its own way. Mm. Each game like that, you know, it's—it's it's, it's a wonderful uh, uh, thing, and it, it does feel like someone sort of pointed that to me many, many years ago. That a lot of this stuff is is aligned to programming, mm. uh, logic loops, and sort of understanding the link between one component to another that then leads to another effect, which is what you want. Um, but um, conversely, you don't want it to be too dull to the point where there's no risk because you, know, mm. you have to expose yourself in order to, to gain advantage, but not to the point where you actually become exposed too much and therefore you drop your defence too low 
and get hammered for it. It's all that. You know, and mm. um, chess is, of course, very much like that. My criticism against chess, and I'm going to level it, it, is that ultimately it's too easy to see, not the game itself. It's very obvious that you're ultimately just two patterns smashing against each other. <laughs> and whoever's got a better pattern is going to win. It's, uh, it's, it's a tricky one. Well, coincidentally, I was listening to the, um, there's a podcast called The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, and they, they, uh, I listen to that sometimes. They had one where they had uh, Gary Kasparov on, um, obviously the, the famous chess player, and he was talking about um, he did a famous match against IBM's Deep Blue, uh, you know, that kind of build as the, you know, the human versus the AI, and he was talking about the kind of experience of that after and and what chess is like as a game. And, 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 and yeah, that got me thinking, like, like I played chess, years before again never very good at it and i always felt well what's the what's the thing that for me i i I, as a game designer that i find is missing in chess Mm. and i think part of the problem is because as you say because chess is so it's so transparent yet it's it's so transparent in what can and you know the, the the realms of what can happen are quite narrow yes um yes it's missing the drama of the unexpected yeah um, whereas I think, you know, like the game we'll talk about shortly and other other games that I think with elements of chance, one of the things I like about them is that that sudden reversal, you know, that unit that you thought was going to die that didn't, that unit that shouldn't really be able to damage that huge enemy unit suddenly does. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that and then everything, all your calculations then and all your plans are kind of up in the air and it's all exciting in one way or the other. And I think that's. So, so a lot of the games we've made, not all of them, but a lot of them have randomness in them. And I, I, as a game designer, I like randomness because I think it does add this, it injects this very human element of drama into the gameplay. That That's not, not impossible. I mean, something like Advance Wars, I love those games and they don't have randomness in, in like an XCOM game, you know, has, or like our game has, but in them, they're still great games. They're brilliant strategy games. But yeah, I, I personally, I, I like a sense of unknown within the game, and not, not completely. But but I think if you've got the right the right layer of it, it, it really enhances everything else. Yes, absolutely. And uh, you know, there's lots of arguments about too much randomness in some games, depending on the game mechanic. And there's lots of people who do resent the presence of of, of, of dice, even like the, the the mere mention of it is just you know, <clears throat> people really you know you know lurch back going oh no no I can't deal with dice like yeah really really and yet you know some of the best moments in in role playing games in my personal experience is when someone rolls that 20 just at the right moment (laughs) just when they really really needed to you know it's uh... yeah yeah the amount of times we played like say a game of 40k or in the office we've been playing Bushido a game called Bushido recently the amount of times the match has hinged on, you know, a couple of dice rolls. Yeah. You know, if this unit does more than this amount of damage, it kills this key unit and then you can't win enough victory points, it's match over. It's and that's what I mean, it boils that drama down to that moment. It's not like the the strategy and tactics didn't get you there, because they did. But yeah, the you know, it, it really does add something at that point. So yeah, I'm 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 a I'm a fan of randomness in games. Excellent. So next question then. This one's mm. also, like I said, it gets worse. Uh, this one's reasonably difficult to answer because maybe because you don't want to offend anyone. Because basically, the question is, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Um, yeah, it can be a company rather than a person, by the way. So. <laughs> yeah, um, well, 
I, th- I think I should I should pick a couple of yeah I'll p- pick a couple of of things like I I'm I play I mean like any game developer I play quite a lot of stuff and I I mm-hmm. enjoy you know enjoy playing so so at the moment like we're lucky enough in Bristol we've got a very active game development scene we've got a lot of very talented developers around so um, there's a guy called Tim Wicksteed he's just released a game called Mega Aquarium. Uh, which is like an aquarium sim game. Uh, big fan of his work. I mean, he did prior to that. He did a game called Big Farmer, um, published by Positech, uh, and that was also really good. Uh, so yeah, I, I I love his stuff. I think um, I think what he does is really good, uh, and I'm always intrigued to see what he does next. Um, I'm trying to talk about people that we don't. I mean, the thing is, I could talk about other people we've got. You know, we've done partnerships with and we've done work with. And I don't want to because that's probably seems like I'm just talking up people we work with, but I, I would say all the people we work with are people I've always really liked what they've done. Excellent. Uh, and okay. I think what yeah. they do is great. We don't work with people that I don't particularly like what they do, but I will sidestep those and say they are all great. Um, but um, I, I won't bang on about those too much, but yeah, um, I, I think the, aside from that, I do admire Blizzard and I know Blizzard's an obvious one and everybody cites Blizzard and, Oh, you know, oh, Blizzard, here we go again. But they they are consistently excellent. Now, yes, they've got the resources to be that, as in they can do a bunch of games that don't work and then they can drop things that don't work and put forward the things that do. But over the years, they've they've always set the standard when you think of, you know, what what's an MMO? You think of, you know, World of Warcraft. You know, prior to that when they did Warcraft as a as a an RTS, you know, it was a brilliant RTS. They decided to do a card game. They do Hearthstone, a brilliant card game. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think they are the, in a way, I think they are the kind of one of the upper standards of our industry that what they're doing is, you know, really is quite out there, you know, and it, it, it sets us a, a really high standard that we've all got to, you know, push to. Um, so yeah, there, there's a couple I'd cite. I mean, there's plenty of others, you know, that we're a vibrant and interesting industry doing lots and lots of cool stuff. So I suppose I'd also put a word in for, um, Ninja Theory, um, what they've done with Hellblade is is brilliant, and again, as a company that we're both interested, we're interested in bringing this real world stuff. How they brought the real world issues of mental health into a game, which sounds really, you know, maybe you know, dry, and maybe that oh, that's not going to be entertaining. But no, they've 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 done an amazing job of of creating a you know these incredible characters and this really fascinating, rich world and just brilliant gameplay. So yeah, there's a few I'd cite. Hopefully. Not offending anyone. No, no, no. It's just, the reason offence is like you forget someone, and like, oh, yeah, never mind. Sorry, mate. But you haven't. Yeah. You've done a great job, uh, and uh, we should get uh, the first person to mention on the show. Uh, oh, Tim. Yeah, yeah. No, you should. He's a, he's a he's a he's a really really lovely guy, and yeah. Mega um, Aquarium. Did you say? Yes, I'll make a note. Yes, great game. Worth checking out. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Um, most most of my recruitment goes when I go to EGX or PAX and things, and. I give him a card and go. Would have been on the show, like yes, <laughs> but uh, it's great. It's uh, but no, it's it, getting a recommendation for yourself is awesome. So thank you. So uh, the last question I've got, and of course you're right about Blizzard as well. They we have to thank them for a lot, including yes. rock and roll racing. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I actually have I have a copy of that on the NES. Sorry, SNES. SNES. Uh, oh, I'm not playing it. It's good. It's their first game. It's great. Um, oh. What are you playing right now? 
Um, and well, it could be anything. Play, I, mean, I mean, no, no, yeah. I'm playing playing I'm playing a lot. So I've I've had I've been playing a bit of Sea of Thieves, uh, which I have to say is very good. I, I love the physicality of how you do stuff. So when you've got to put your anchor down, you're not just pressing a button. You've got to like physically rotate the wheel to to drop anchor. I think that that's pretty cool. Um, I've just started playing Stardew Valley, although I'm very early on, so I wouldn't really give a verdict of that. But yeah, I'm enjoying that. I'm actually playing it on my PS Vita, so I feel like a bit of a throwback on that. That everybody's moved on to, you know, Switch or PS4 or Xbox One. Well, um, if it still I'm... works. Why? Why? You know. It is, it's... Well, it's because nobody else wants to play on my Vita, so like the kids don't want to mess with it, and and basically they leave <laughs> me alone on it. That, that's a big plus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so I'm yeah very much enjoying that and. Um, yeah, I've also uh, just started playing Wasteland on Xbox One. I, I got got that the other day and just started playing that. And um, uh, again, it's a it's a classic. So you know, kind of enjoying dipping into that a bit. So the the, the main things I'm playing is video games, and then in terms of other stuff, um, we got Kill Team in the office, the 40k sort of skirmish version, uh, and that's very very good. And as I mentioned, Bushido, uh, we've been we've been playing that, which is a, a kind of fantasy samurai ninja themed skirmish game and that's very good so so that they're, they're the kind of main things i've been bashing around with of late nice i recently picked up my uh, a copy of oh, excuse me, excuse me, uh of um a twilight imperium fourth edition which ah. uh which uh it was very very cheap um so um yeah I'm just turning this up uh and uh yeah half price i don't know why it was they said, no, this is we had a bulk lot of them. Okay. And I do actually play that game. Uh, most people think Twilight Imperium is a 10-hour monster. It was back in the day. But 4th edition, they streamlined a lot of things, which means you can now actually reduce it down to about um, ooh, um, four or five hours for a five-player five game, which is pretty good right. game. Um, still yeah, quite yeah, long. Yeah, it still is. Still quite long. Yeah, it's still a big quite, monster. But... Uh, Still very good, very, very good game. At least I like it anyway. Um, but yeah, that's that's the last thing I sort of played relatively recently uh, as regards to tabletop. And of course, I'm running a couple of Starfinder campaigns uh, and, um, and a D&D campaign, so I'm busy with those. Yeah, yeah. and also bought the fourth edition of um, Fantasy Warhammer, which is coming out in a few weeks. Yes, uh, I signed up the mailing list for that because um, I've got I've got first edition at home, uh, which is a kind of prized copy of that. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't mind. And again, we're doing this kind of ad hoc role playing club. I wouldn't mind running a couple of one offs for yeah. fantasy role play, which is a which is a great role playing game. It's great. It's very cra- it's crazy. It's, just, it's mm. a very strange thing to happen in that game. But we now need to move on to the second half of the show because you've made it for the first half. Well done. I feel like, yeah, I feel like it was a, a, a mental verbal assault course. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're now indeed going to go into the second half of the show where we delve deep into Akhtung Cthulhu Tactics.
So, first right. question. Let's go. Yeah, here we go. The first question. Is it really a question? Regular listeners may know this. It's known as the Zeroth question because it's a request. Before we delve deep into the game, you need to tell us what is Acton Cthulhu Tactics. So, Acton Cthulhu Tactics is a turn based uh, tactical RPG. Uh, with a strong narrative um, element. So we're using the Actung Cthulhu universe. We're using that setting. We've taken inspiration from the role-playing game and there's a kind of tabletop skirmish version of it as well. Uh, But we've created our own spin on all of those, our own take on it. Uh, And so you'll recognize, you know, inspired by elements of, you know, games like XCOM, uh, and a previous game I worked on, Call of Cthulhu, The Wasted Land, draws heavily inspired by elements of stuff that I, I'd come up with there. Um, but it, it, it's also its own new thing. So the game, you command a unit of, of veterans. So these are, are people who've encountered this stuff before. They're not the, the kind of newbies to the, the strange unknown. They are behind enemy lines. They know that there's something strange going on there and they've got to try and figure out what it is and try and stop it. So it's a, a desperate battle against the forces of the Nazis and the mythos where the kind of the, the evil, the, the, the evilest thing you face isn't the Nazis, which is a is a terrifying low bar they've set. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's the whole, it's it's whole great setting, great setting. Uh, and uh, so to 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 develop a, a turn based strategy based on the skirmish sort of models is, is lovely, uh, and um, the the enemies are very. We can go crazy with them, can't you? Really. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I think what, like I said, what attracted me part of the setting is that it, it has this sense of not not realism, but but possibility in it. In that, so the, a bunch of the Nazis were massively obsessed with the occult, especially Himmler. They had all this obsession within the SS with it. They were sending expeditions off into Tibet. You know, a bunch of them were into like weird occult stuff like Hollow Earth and things like that. So so they, they were trying to find this stuff. You know, a bunch of them thought it was out there and if they could find it, they could harness it. Um and you know, Acton Cthulhu setting takes this idea, well, there was something out there. And when they sent these expeditions off and they kind of did these weird ceremonies, something answered. And of course the Nazis try and use that uh, and and they're 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 basically trying to turn those things they found to help them turn the war around. Um, the Allies find out. They find out this stuff is real. I think they, they got inklings that it was real before, but obviously it creates a whole terrifying extra layer to the war. They call the secret war, where the, the Nazis are trying to develop this technology and these alliances with these inhuman things um, running alongside the Allies, trying to stop them. Uh, and, you know, so that's the thing I really liked about the setting and that that's the thing we've really tried to preserve. And Modifius, you know, who's, who created the IP that they've, they had a whole bunch of really cool characters. So very early on when we encountered their characters in the skirmish game, it was like, these are really interesting characters with really cool powers. We, we should just use these um, rather than us trying to create a bunch of new stuff. Cause it was cool. And we, so we went with that. Yeah. 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 And um, I want to talk about a key gameplay mechanic now which i found very intriguing whether you draw it from other games i don't know but um it's and this is the first design question so brace yourself is really you wanted to talk to me uh, through the fog of war aspect <coughs> of Akhtung cthulhu tactics because it's um it's unusual 
in that you yeah. can see things, see through it, but it won't necessarily mean you see enemies. Could you describe it to us and also maybe delve into how it came about? So, so we it's called the shroud, and so where the where the action is set, the 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 Nazis and their kind of inhuman allies have somehow are trying to obfuscate what they're doing from the outside world. So they've 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 somehow generated through through a mixture of technology and sorcery this strange effect, like a fog of war effect, that's hiding what they're up to. And that's why the Allies have to send in a a kind of elite team because they can't see what's going on there. They can't take aerial photos. That you know, no one knows what's happening, and it's obviously not good because they're hiding it. So they send it, this unit in to try and figure it out. And what what the shroud does is it hides. So your units are their their clothing, and they they are. In, they've they've got some special amulets from various traditions that that, that the various units within there draw from that give them some degree of protection and, and almost like push this shroud away wherever they are. So where your units are, they, they they dispel the shroud around them, but the shroud is always kind of poking at the edges and coming in. So it creates an interesting narrative setting where it's literally the, your, your your characters are the light and they are fighting against the dark. And as they move through the dark, they part the darkness. So it's a kind of almost biblical narrative, good versus evil, which is very Acton Cthulhu. It's very pulp. And that was where the idea first came from. But of course, what I actually want to do, we want to create an interesting gameplay uh, mechanic. And so we take that literal idea of the light and the dark and we turn it into the gameplay. So the Nazis and their allies, they, they're their units they're they're kind of using this technology they're they're around it and it started to subsume them so they like to be in the shroud they like to attack you from the shroud the shroud protects them the shroud grants them some degree of security and so they're they're always in the shroud and when they're in the shroud you can't see exactly what that unit is it might be just be a normal grunt it might be a more advanced soldier it might be something more horrific you don't know but you can see there's something there and that thing might be shooting at you. It might be moving around in there. So it creates this sense of unease, sense of hopefully fear that there are things there and I don't know what they are. But as you get close to them, you dispel the shroud and you can see what they are. So by bringing your units up to, to the enemy and, and basically revealing them, you not only show what they are, but you can see their stats. You can see you know exactly what they do, how much action points they've got, what health they've got left, etc. So... Um, what that does is it adds a tactical layer that, you know, you, you'll see that obviously we've we've drawn from games like XCOM so that you've got your units and cover. But I wanted more than that. I wanted the tactical layer to to have this greater depth, and that's what the shroud offers. So by moving one of your units up and revealing the enemy, your other units get an advantage to shooting them because they're weaker outside of the shroud. So for you as a player, you've got you've got two things you can use in your favor. You've got cover, and you've got the the the, the kind of the presence of your units the enemy they've also got cover but they've also got the shroud and so you're bouncing those two tactical areas to to unsettle the enemy to kind of put them off their guard and basically give you buffs and and that's how it works hopefully that's a a reasonable explanation of what you've seen yeah i just want to know how it sort of it's you're definitely right it adds a lo- another layer of what is normally quite a benign thing and that the only thing about fog of war is that well, you can't see anything because you haven't been there yet. And then you go there and, like, actually, well, you, you think there's something in there, but it could be just a, 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 you know, a soldier or it could be something with lots and lots of tentacles. Um, so you just don't know. And that's, uh, 
does add a level of, of, of fear, which nicely leads me on to our next question. So there's kind of a stress meter for each character. They're, mm. kind of, they're getting more and more anxious as they go through seeing these. They, they, they steal themselves for what they're about to encounter, but even still, they are just regular people. Um, they're human, well, I say regular, but they're human beings, and uh, you know they're seeing things that ought not be. And this whole stress meter reminded me of Darkest Dungeon, which is a great game. Um, was this title an inspiration, or did you model stress in a different way? Um, it, so, so, yeah, yes, and no. In that, I think, I think, so I could give you a kind of short potted history of psychological traits in games. Um, so, I, one of the games I worked on years ago was um, Conflict Vietnam. Uh, which is part of the Conflict Desert Storm series, and in that we tried doing a psychological system, and they because it was a third-person action game, real time, and it had some ideas that you know because it sort of fitted the Viet- Vietnam War theme that characters could kind of lose it and go off on one, and they put systems in to do that, and and what what we found is it was it was just really annoying, the players just didn't like losing control of their characters, so when I came to do um, Call of Cthulhu: The Wasted Land. I wanted a psychological system in there that was a bit more, a bit more interesting, um, and so we we had sanity um, as, as a thing. So you you balanced your hit points and your sanity points, and when you lost sanity, your characters would would go mad, and sometimes they'd just freeze, but sometimes they'd go manic, and in manic they'd get you get this one turn where they were incredibly powerful, but just better at close combat, and then they they'd collapse and die if you didn't get them first aid. And that, that worked really well, and that was quite good fun. Um, and then along came Darkest Dungeon. I have to say, they did a brilliant psychological system. It was it was fantastic. The, the, the whole range of it, the nuance, how all the different characters interacted with it, it was excellent. And so when we were doing the design on this, it was an influence in the sense that like there's no point doing what they've done because they've done a brilliant psychological system, and they've made it the heart of the game, and we're not going to best that unless you know we just set up to make a game about psychology and we didn't you know this was a this was a tactical game so it's a it's a war game so i think think for us what we did is we turned more towards the war side of it so when you think of conflict you think of post-traumatic stress disorder you think of you know combat stress and you think of the fact that the fact that you're facing death at that point you know does it really matter to you whether you're facing death from a you know, a tentacle being, or you're facing death from, you know, somebody trying to stab you with a bayonet, you know, stress is stress. So, so for us in the game, stress became a kind of a manifestation of those two things. And in addition to that, our, our heroes in the game, remember they've been through this stuff before they're actually quite hardened, but they're still human. So they're still subject to that. And we wanted them to face stress in combat as well as the stress of the unknown. So our system is much more about balancing those things than it is about the psychological impacts. Um, we, you do have a range of psychological impacts, so there's a few different things that can happen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's its own system that's more suited to the fact that we're a war game rather than we're a, a game of exploration in these, these kind of sanity-killing uh, sanity deep dungeons. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's what I love about the the fact that you have this the stress level thing is similar to Cthulhu and the, the sanity checks one has to do. I mean, every character for, for the uninitiated, Cthulhu is famous for its sanity checks. Mm. Oh, you see something weird? Yes, roll for sanity. Oh, damn. 
<laughs> and uh, I think there's not so much of that in this title in that you do get they are stressed out and like you say they are hardened to this thing this stuff they've encountered it before to a greater or lesser degree uh, but now here they are facing some pretty horrid enemies uh, yeah 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 well, I've I've had to face this design question before. I did a, a monograph for Chaosium years ago called The Dark Mirror. Mm. And it was the idea of you playing the cultists rather than playing the heroes. You know, and, and what I thought is this would be a great little supplement where you could take all the existing supplements you've got and you could just replay them from the other side where you're trying to, you know, summon the being rather than stop it. You're trying to, you know, find the, you know, the, 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 the buried Shoggoth rather than, you know, keep it there. Um, and in the Dark Mirror, I face the immediate question, the immediate problem. Well, sanity is such a core mechanic in Call of Cthulhu that your your cultists, surely they're already mad. Surely you just ignore it. You know, they're, they're trying to end the world. Uh, and I realized, yeah, but you need something. You need you need something to reflect that human psychology. So I came up with the idea in there of this, this, this concept of focus. Mm. So, yeah, they were all mad. In, in the dark mirror, but there, there are different types of madness that the, there's the madness, you know, it's certainly in fiction. And I think I'm, I'm simplifying down a much more complex actual psychological phenomenon I should point out. But, um, but there's the idea that there's unfocused madness where you, you can't really, you know, figure out what's going on and you're struggling to kind of act. And then there's the focused madness where you're able to do these these terrible diabolical things. And so I, I think when it came to do this again, that, that same idea of you having to focus despite what was going on around you, uh, and that felt, again, very much more in the line of, of kind of PTSD that you find in war and conflict. Uh, and so that's that, that feeling much more suited what I was trying to get across, that, that people under stress, they still have to pull it together, and there are times when they lose it, and that's not an indictment against them. You know, I want your. You know, when your players lose it a bit, yes. Uh, when your characters, sorry, they they lose it a bit. It's. I just want the players to feel that's very human when that happens, and when they lose it in the face of some terrible thing, um, that's also still very human. Because if we really did have to face that, that would be, you know, that would be quite shattering. Mm. My next question then is related to the characters' actions, but the opposite end of the scale when they are successful in their attacks mm. and their movements. And they gain a form of momentum, like a, like a, a, a oh wait a minute I'm doing this I'm shooting that I'm rolling across here I'm you know it's it's quite an interesting system you've got. Could you talk us through mm. it? Because it's like a a resource almost. You use this resource, an additional resource, to do some interesting and devastating attacks. Because although these are people, they're pretty special and very well trained people, and they're very good at what they do. So, could you talk us through that? Yeah. So th this this again, this is a system that I think takes what we've made, you know, without blowing the game's trumpet, but the team have done an amazing job, and 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 gives you these extra layers of tactics. This is where it becomes really tactical. Mm. So your 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 team generates some base amount of momentum based on the the, the leader, the highest leader chip stat there but then in addition to that as you're successful you get more momentum and it is it is based on this idea and again you see this in in you know writing about war and conflict and i think in other things in general which is you know there's some sometimes it's morale sometimes it's various other things but once 
once a, a, an army or a military unit is on a roll, they can really go places. You know, they can kind of once they knock the enemy off balance, and once they're feeling in in the kind of flow of what they're doing, um, they can really make stuff happen. And again, a unit of of troops who are cohesive and they work well together and they kind of understand what each other them doing, it, it gets it, you know it gets better and better. And one of the things that went through my mind when we were thinking about the system was uh, I'd, I'd been to a talk by a war photographer. And he'd actually taken a load of photographs of one of the, the medical, the big, I think they're Hercules, that were coming out of Afghanistan during the war there um, when the British were involved. And they've got soldiers in the, these huge aircraft and they're, they're working on them on the way back. And it's one of these kind of innovations that they didn't, they'd done during that war that they were able to start medical care on the soldiers right away, like serious operations and stuff like that, rather than having to fly them back to the uk or to germany and then doing them there and and the photographer the thing that really struck in my head is he said i imagine that when i went on this plane and they're treating all these soldiers that it'd be like all these people yelling and screaming and panicking and crying and like you know get me that scalpel now and all this this kind of urgency and he said and it wasn't it was the opposite it was absolutely silent he said because every one of those members of that medical team they knew exactly what they were doing what they were supposed to do where they were supposed to be he said it was just this astoundingly well organized process uh and and it just the the silence was was sort of comforting and, and a little bit surprising and and that struck me that yeah when you've got a team of people and and they're at life and death like like those those medical people they work really well together why because if you don't you're dead the teams that didn't work well together they never made it they didn't get this far so momentum is that idea of this this well-oiled team and these these you know these kind of professionals who who are good at what they do so how we layer that into the player is there's a whole bunch of abilities and skills that that you can activate with momentum so you can move a character with normal action points but a momentum move allows you to do something slightly different your character has a main weapon which you can shoot off, but momentum might allow you to do a secondary weapon shot with your pistol. Momentum uh, allows you to do things like Overwatch, and each of your character skills as they develop, they get momentum skills. Um, and so what it is, is th- there's two these two separate resources you balance, the momentum and the action points. Action points are individual to the unit. Each unit has its own, but momentum's a team skill. And so you can have a character that you've used all their action points, but if you've generated momentum elsewhere you can then bring that character back into play. And it makes it fantastically tactical, really, really works well. And again, I'm blowing the trumpet of the game, but I'm, I'm incredibly proud of, of this system. And it's, you know, I, I sort of did some of the work on it, but the other designer, there's a couple of other designers, Aaron and Adam worked on the project. But Adam really took this idea and ran with it and did an amazing job of it. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a very cool system. Um, yeah, that, that's the one thing that really struck me when I first played the game. At PAX West uh, this year was was that more than anything, even the fog of war stuff, which was an interesting nuance to it. But that that was really really well put together. Like, oh yeah, of course they'll be able to do that. Why they're limited by their action points and other if they're if they're on a moment if they've got momentum or they're working well with each other and the tactics are actually they're working uh, each unit each person is complementing each other as they should, then the player should be rewarded for that. And the best mm. way to do that is give them more stuff to do. Yeah. You know, and you can really turn a battle around. You can be severely outnumbered. Severely. I mean they typically are. Uh but um but you know even more even more so than normal. And but they can turn a battle around. 
with, with, just by, you know, employing very subtle and brilliant tactics against the enemy. So, yeah, really well modelled. So I just wanted to bring that out. I was very, oh, very thank impressed. you. Very impressed. Thank you. Yeah, that's very kind of you to say so. Last question then. And yes. All good things must come to an end, but here it is. Yeah. I'm going to ask, how protective have Modifius been with the IP? And what input have they had with the design of Actung Cthulhu Tactics, if any? Um, they, they have been a fantastic partner. They've been really amazing to work with. Uh, they, they, one of their writers, uh, John Houlihan, I think I'm pronouncing his surname right, um, came and worked with us. So he wrote a lot of the script. He worked with us on the narrative side of it, which was great to have that input. Chris, who, you know, he was originally created the Actung Cthulhu setting. He, he was really, you know, we ran ideas past him, talked about what we were doing. He gave us great input, but they also gave us space to do our own thing with it. So the momentum system comes out of their role-playing system, the idea of having momentum. But what we've been able to do with it is kind of create a video game version of that. So we've taken their idea and really run with it in our own direction. The Shroud was something that we came up with, yet all the characters in the setting is stuff that they came up with. They had the powers, but we changed those powers to fit what we were doing. So I would kind of humbly put it forward and say that I think is a brilliant example of how to do an IP. And I say that because it's not all my ideas, it's the rest of the team, and I'm incredibly proud of what they've done. It's that great thing of that it's it's fresh if you know the Actung Cthulhu setting really well because we've done different things, we've got our own take on it. But if you don't know the Actung Cthulhu setting, it's fine. You don't need to know all that stuff. You just need to kind of get in there and enjoy it. So they've been fantastic to work with, and I'd, I'd happily work with them again. Yeah, I've played many of their games, and uh, uh, Coriolis is one of my favourite sort of sci-fi RPGs, which is a very strange game. Um, it's basically um, uh, the uh, Arabian Nights in space. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, this, uh, and of course, the the, the, the um, there's the loop game they do. Um, oh, the tales, tales from the loop. Tales yeah, tales from the loop. They they released that too. And yeah, they, yeah, and they do lots of stuff, and Star Trek they've got as well, and of course, yeah, the yeah, Star yeah, Trek, yeah, yeah. So and they've got, yeah, they they do the Fallout tactics game. They, I mean, they're a pretty prolific company, and you know, really admire what what Chris and his team have done there. So mm. uh, it's great to work with them. Yeah. So, Thomas, it was fantastic having you on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Um, you've been very open and honest about your development of. Uh, Acton Cthulhu Tactics uh, and, and uh, it's really really interesting hearing about how it evolved into what it is so um, it's coming it's out now on Windows PC on Steam and it's uh, heading to consoles very soon and uh, yeah wish you the best of luck with it well thank you and yeah thanks for having us on the show and um, yeah, um, yeah it's been really great to chat with you I really enjoyed it thank you great 